You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, and it is a mashup of sorts for this episode. Uh, There's going to be three different segments. I apologize for it being a little disjointed, but with travel to Louisville this week between Chris and I, uh, schedules weren't adding up, and we have a special guest on as well. I think you guys will enjoy the episode. It's just going to be a little bit different than the normal uh, format. Don't worry, it won't be like a falk in the road. No one lose their minds and go throw a temper tantrum. FSU-centric, I promise. So first off, it'll be Chris and I doing a little bit of a preview for Florida State and Louisville. Going to get his prediction. Going to get some matchups that we're interested in keeping an eye on. And uh, and also just kind of Chris's thoughts on practice from the past two weeks and where this program is is headed. Uh, then we'll do a little Byers-Sanone with Zach Blostein and myself. And uh, he'll do a lot of recruiting topics and whatnot. Zach will also give a prediction, and we find out that he hates children, which is just awful. And then finally, we have a special guest, and that is Devin Travis, former Florida State baseball standout, who uh, who is an FSU legacy, and if that name is familiar, Travis, that's uh, because Devin is Jordan Travis's big brother. Uh, many of you probably know that, some of you may not. So uh, Devin's going to join on the bench, you're going to talk about his baseball career, where he's at now as a coach, uh, and kind of transitioning from being a player to, to being a coach in, in that that time period in his life, and how it's kind of helped him give advice to Jordan, and just being a proud big brother, I think is the best way to describe that interview uh, at the end of the episode. So action-packed episode of On the Bench coming up. Without further delay, let's get the show going, starting off with me and myself doing a little Louisville preview. Welcome back to On the Bench. I've got Chris Snee here with me. We're going to do a quick FSU Louisville preview. Chris, uh, let's start off with this. FSU, a little trivia. FSU with the win over Louisville could be 3-0 and for the first time since blank. Wow, predates 2016. I know that. Um, would it be 14? It would be 2015. So you were a They were 3-0 they were and 15, okay. Yeah, they were, I think, 8-0 until the Georgia Tech game. Okay. No, they had the Clemson game, and then they had Georgia Tech. All right. Uh, adding to that, first time FSU could be 1-0 in the ACC play for the first time since Blink with a win. I'll stick with the theme, and I guess go with 2015. It is 2015. Nailed it. Uh, let's take the people back to 2016. It was the oh, first time. Do we have to? I think real, <laughs> real quick, because there's going to be some parallels here. I think this matchup for the Seminoles is going to be, you know, if the Seminoles go up there and win, kind of an exercising of demons uh, of sorts because Louisville has had Mike Norvell's number. It's largely had FSU as a program's number, and it's been a pretty big, like, there's been big battles against Louisville that have kind of indicated the direction of the program. And uh, 2016 was really the uh, the – Signaled the beginning of the end for the Jimbo Fisher error. Uh, what was your most memorable part of that that fantastic 2016 trip for you and I? Uh, most memorable part, I would say probably Demarcus Walker looking like the only guy that actually cared about the fact they were getting blown out on the scoreboard. Do you remember? I don't think it was caught on TV, but it was sometime in the second half, I think late third quarter, and there was a, a TV timeout. And Louisville's offensive alignment, offensive entire offensive line started doing like jumping jacks and uh, hopping around and basically talking crap to FSU's defensive line. And there was one man who kind of 
stood up to them. Yeah, Odell took exception to it. Um, but at the same time, when the scoreboard reads like it did in that game, it's kind of tough to dictate any of that stuff. Yeah, you just don't have to like that it's happening and, and just sit there and take it. Is, is yeah, well, Odell, we know we know Odell cares deeply about this program. That that was not an enjoyable day for anybody. I certainly think it hurt the heart of no in a someone of the sort like Odell Higgins. What was less enjoyable for you uh, having to watch me throw up, hungover from way too many mint juleps, or the car ride back in which we got stuck in like ten hours of traffic? Uh, I believe the Dolphins were getting blown out during that car ride back, so I'll I'll go with car ride back. I'm pretty sure in the time we did not move when we sat on the highway for like two hours straight, I think the Dolphins went from a close game to getting blown out. So, yeah, I'll go with car it, ride. Tom, it was Tom Brady, if I remember correctly. It was New yeah, I believe it was Tom the Patriots. Brady. Yeah, I believe it we was went the up, Patriots. I think we went like two miles in the same span, somewhere around Chattanooga in the same span that Tom Brady drove uh, – the Patriots down down the field twice for touchdown drives. And the car all started leaking on me around that same time, too. Only awesome. time in the history of the car that I ever did that to somebody. <laughs> the, the football program went off the rails. Uh, our trip went off the rails. So that brings us to present day. And Florida State has a chance to take a really sizable step forward, I think, Chris. Uh, they handled their business as they should have against Duquesne. LSU was a what well, could have been a monumental win. We'll see, but certainly was a, a huge step forward. Uh, it was a game that didn't have to be as close as it was, but you still found a way to win at the end, which is the ultimate name of the game, right? And and so now this week against Louisville on Friday, but seven thirty p.m. kick. Yep. Uh, it's not the Papa John's. It's not called. They don't. No, it's just Papa Cardinal John's. Stadium now. I think is what yeah, they go by. Pro- probably for the best. Uh, this is a really big moment for Florida State uh, because of 3-0 and and 1-0 in ACC are at play. But also, man, like this could be a, to me, a statement. If you go and handle your business as a road favorite against a team that, frankly, looks really vulnerable despite a road win uh, at UCF last week, I think that shows that this team has some levels of, of growth to it in terms of maturity and being able to handle expectations. What have you seen in that regard the last two weeks of practice since since the bye week leading up to here on Wednesday morning as we're recording before we go wheels up on, on Thursday? Well, last week during the bye week portion of practice, they had a bad day. And it was very much driven into their heads in the moment during that day that that was unacceptable. Mike Norvell vo- voiced his displeasure with it. There was a lot of running. I think there was a lot of reinforcement. And truthfully, I think that's probably a good thing for a team coming off such an emotional victory, something they really haven't had success doing. There, there's something to a program learning how to win and then learning how to do more things beyond just winning, which is stacking victories, uh, playing well in places they don't play well, overcoming obstacles that previously would have been a wall to them, things of that sort. It's all part of the process, not to go super cliche like a football coach, but it is true. There is a degree of you have to learn how to do certain things. Like closing out a game, that is something that for every bit of coaching that matters to it, there's also a process of learning how to do that, knowing how to do that. The players that you're putting on the field having experience doing that. And, you know, obviously FSU did not close out the LSU game prior to the block kick as one would like to see. You know, they allowed those situations to occur that resulted in a block kick being necessary. Now the next step for them is the next time they're in a situation similar, whether it's this week, down the road, whenever it is, to have taken a next step, learn from it. And uh, I, I thought Alex Atkins yesterday spoke on that and actually made an excellent point about how it is constantly about learning. It's about improving. Even the good stuff you do well, it's about getting better at doing that. And the stuff that you mess up, you do not do well. It's definitely about improving upon that and maximizing who and what you can be. As far as practice, I thought overall it was pretty good outside of that one day. Um, I feel like the prep for Louisville, specific to Louisville, was very, very good in the sense of I feel like they have a very good game plan for what they're going to go out there and try to accomplish. Uh, Travis Jay yesterday working at quarterback gives you a good athletic look. Obviously, nobody can emulate who and what Malik Cunningham is. He's uniquely quick. He's very difficult, especially when he works to the right side. He's quite a challenge. But I think FSU got a good enough look to understand between having played Jaden Daniels here in the last two weeks and having somebody emulate in practice, oh, we have to go do that again. We need to do a better job of doing that. I think those kind of things have been driven into their heads. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, it feels like an eternity ago, but it was just last week, the first interview with Mike Norvell after the game. 
so often you talked about response in this first couple of years here, and it was always about bad things that happened. This is going to be an interesting test of response when something really good, an emotional, high-level victory, 2-0 start has happened. How is your team going to handle that, especially going into a road environment, which also coincides with being the first home game for Louisville? So obviously they're going to be a little yacked up, a little jacked up for this one, red out in that stadium. You know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a threatening atmosphere for the opposing team in FSU's case. Louisville has a little little life to it after finding a way to beat UCF uh, on the road, and and that was as a UCF alum a tough tough game to watch. So let's let's start there because I think Louisville's defense kind of found some life in that game uh, and had looked really extremely vulnerable against Syracuse uh, looked really vulnerable in the first half against UCF and and then kind of just found out some that worked against a pretty limited quarterback. I don't know if that's going to be the case though, with the Seminoles, the way Jordan Travis is played. So, so Chris, if, if you're the offensive coordinator, if you're Alex Atkins, I guess, how would you attack this Louisville defense? Uh, what stands out about the Cardinals uh, matchup wise for, for Florida state's perspective? I would run right at them. Four of the top five tacklers for Louisville are safeties or corners. That reads to a fact that they're allowing way too much stuff to get through the first two levels, therefore having to clean it up. If you're able to block those first two levels, you have talented enough backs that can make a guy miss and turn it into a house call. So I would definitely go right at them. The top tackler that is not a safety or corner is Momo Sanago. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I apologize. There's no way you're pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, Yeah, We'll just go with Momo since that's his uh, first name nickname. He uh, has eight tackles on the season. Run right at him is my opinion of what you try to do with Louisville. In the passing game, if Jarvis Brownlee is out there, locate him. And that's not me trying to take a pot shot at a former player who didn't leave on the best terms. Uh, It's based on who and what he's been this year. He's been targeted 15 times. He's allowed 10 receptions. It's the most receptions allowed by any player on Louisville's roster. Next up is Cattrell Clark, pretty, pretty talented corner on the other side been targeted 11 times and allowed five receptions. So of the 34 receptions allowed by Louisville on the season, 10 of those have come against Brownlee. So he's one of those locate that number when he's on the field. If you see him go at him. And, you know, I think we all know what Jarvis Brownlee is having the experience of watching him in Tallahassee. He might make you pay a time or two. Obviously he made UCF pay there late. He had the big interception in the end zone. That yeah, wasn't gonna, an interception. That was whatever. ridiculous. You're also going to be able to have success against him. So, I think that FSU's offense can have a great deal of success against Louisville. I'm not concerned about FSU's ability to score. My bigger concern is keeping their Louisville's offense in check, namely Malik Cunningham, because well, he is a well, guy who can very quickly change the scoreboard. We'll get to that in a second. I didn't miss jump ahead. We'll get there in a second. Uh, Louisville's run defense, as Chris alluded to, has, has been porous. Now, they have gone against a really good rushing attack of Syracuse that seems to be figuring some things out with Sean Tucker and uh, Garrett Schrader at quarterback. And if Syracuse is committed to running Garrett Schrader, like that's going to be a, a bigger problem. I think that most expected this year. And uh, while John Rice Plumlee clearly can't throw the ball for UCF, he can run it and UCF can, I think run the ball uh, under Gus Malzahn. So with that in mind, Louisville's defensive success rate, Chris, 120th nationally, FSU's rushing success rate uh, on offense fifth nationally uh so you know there there's a formula there that that could work pretty well for fsu if you're able to establish uh the run what was out to me watching the game on friday night uh, between ucf and louisville is as that game went on uh, louisville really just dared ucf to to throw the ball i mean they loaded the box they attacked the perimeter they didn't have any safeties back uh it was it was embarrassing on ucf's and the ability that they couldn't just throw the ball one-on-one but but what struck me is that was Florida State a couple of years ago, and it's not Florida State now. Like that's not. I don't think that'll be a strategy uh, that that Louisville can deploy to stop Jordan Travis. It's a testament to how he's progressed, uh, to how the wide receivers have have been upgraded through the transfer portal and development. Uh, is this the first time that Mike Norvell's gone into a game, Chris, with like an actual semblance of like he's FSU has a legitimate balanced attack that teams now have, like that a team's going to have to game plan. Because LSU, I think, tried to force him to throw the ball, and, and FSU made him pay. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. I think FSU is, at this point, a fairly balanced, offensive-capable team. I think, statistically, from a yardage standpoint, that's not the end-all, be-all, but it's not that far off from 50-50 as far as passing and running, and that's kind of crazy to think because how well they ran the ball against Duquesne. They racked them up there. But LSU did do a good job of taking away the run, and therefore the passing game had to step up and had success. 
FSU is capable of doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and being effective against the team. I think an interesting side story of the Louisville game is last year, Louisville's ability to get pressure and given that was a cluster of a game and, you know, we had the one-legged quarterback there. Um, I think FSU will come out and protect much, much better than we saw a season ago. You know, you got to account for a guy like Yaya coming off the edge. He's a very talented pass rusher. Momo's another guy who they will bring pressure with. Um, they have a few others. Abdullah is another kid on that team who can bring pressure. You know, I don't think he's had much success so far this year. Ashton Galat, Gillette, I don't know how he pronounced his last name. Not worried about it, but he's an edge rusher. He's a guy that actually leads them in sacks. So there are guys you have to account for. But I think this is going to be a nice testament to the strides and the steps that the FSU offensive line has taken in the last 12 months in the sense of being able to protect and again, it's not solely the offensive line. It's also the quarterback being comfortable, making quick reads, having more capable receivers that can win one-on-ones, having a running attack that you can rely upon, but also running backs you can rely upon and pass protection. All those things play a role in not allowing sacks to happen. I think it will be very interesting to look at Louisville pressure success rate in this game versus mm-hmm. what they did a year ago to a similarly coached FSU team that was different from the sense of personnel. Coach Norvell has praised you know, Murray Smith for how he's gotten back from uh, a preseason injury. He praised Darius Washington for how he's progressed and, and said just how big that was for him to not have to play against LSU for FSU to be able to use its five offensive linemen throughout the entire course of the game, which I have no idea the last time uh, that was. So FSU pretty, pretty healthy up front. It seems like coaches are, are pretty happy with where the offensive line is given some of the the season and the injuries that, that you've had there. So I shouldn't say they're pretty healthy because you're losing again, miles and plus airs for the year, but with who is available, it does seem like they're in pretty good shape there. Uh, that's a plus for FSU to have consistency and semblance, uh, both in run game and pass pro uh, real quick on Jarvis Brownlee. He has allowed 10 completions this year. There's only one, two, three, four power five cornerbacks who've allowed more uh, per at a per game basis. So. Moving on to the other side of the ball, uh, Malik Cunningham, Chris, you mentioned him earlier. He has been a pain in FSU's butt the last two years. Scott Satterfield has had Adam Fuller's number for whatever reason. Uh, the Seminoles have allowed 31 points in each of the last two first halves against Louisville in 2020-2021, so 62 combined points. Uh, wasn't 62 the score for 62-10, to 62-20 Yeah, so, so – the number 62 in Louisville and Florida State, there, there's some, again, some weird parallels here. It's kind of, again, this exercising of demons game, uh, as I'm dubbing it, exercising of Cardinals. So let's talk about what Louisville likes to do on offense. And Dane Dane Draper and, uh, and Trey Rowland will be breaking down the game more later this week. But from your perspective, Chris, what does Louisville do well and what have they done well against the Seminoles the last couple of years? Uh, get to the edge and run it and also force your eyes to be behaved. If you crash down on them, they're go- especially when it's Cunningham working to either the left or the right outside area, he's going to look downfield and try to hit somebody streaking and get behind you and turn it into a big play. Uh, you know, obviously they've had some experience. Tutu Atwell's huge catch across the middle is an example. Marshawn Ford last year had good success against FSU. Some of that was him streaking across the face, FSU's eyes being stuck on the quarterback, him getting open and free and release, and a missed tackle, and boom, got a big play for the opposing team. But it, it to me, it comes down to stopping the Louisville rushing attack, first and foremost, stopping Malik Cunningham, but also being effective against Tyon Evans. Uh, in Evans' case, they're going to run him on the butt of Caleb Chandler, their left guard quite a bit. Chandler is a very talented redshirt senior, all ACC caliber offensive lineman. Evans is going to run hard, run behind him, work to that left side. You have to take on Evans when you're tackling him. If you try to just go in there and bring him down to the ground with your arms, he's going to run through you or over you, and you don't want to allow him to just kind of build ahead of steam and do that for four quarters and get yourself in a tight situation where you have to play a guy who's willing to be that physical late. Now, more so Cunningham's more the bigger concern. Cunningham working to the left side, 84 yards on left guard, left edge. And on the right side, I think it's about 82 at 78 because he has a little bit of a loss there with a keeper. So he's very, very talented to the edge. He likes throwing when he works to his right. When he works to his left, it's more often he's going to keep and go. You just have to stay home with him. I thought something in watching the Syracuse game a couple of times, I thought something Syracuse did really effectively was they sort of boxed him in. 
they worked really hard at getting their edge guys or their outside rushers in certain parts of their scheme downhill, but then they would retrace. They would work back towards the line of scrimmage instead of going behind Cunningham and pursuing, which is idiotic because Cunningham's so quick and fast that he's going to run away from you. They would basically get on his back hip, turn and work back up, crashing the pocket, trying to keep him in there. If he wanted to go outside the pocket, he was going to have to bubble out and go under, essentially extending the play and, allowing others to react and get there, or he was going to have to work straight ahead, which isn't his preference. His preference is more to work through channels created for him Mm -hmm. to the left or to the right. And he's very, very good, especially working to the right, because that leaves the passing game option much, much more open for him. He's much more comfortable throwing when he's rolling right than when he's rolling left. So, uh, you know, if I'm FSU, I'm trying to keep him in that box. If he beats his straight ahead, it sort of is what it is, but obviously he can't allow short games, short gains to become big gains. If he's working right, it's so important for FSU that, one, they get him down to the ground, but, two, do not break off coverage down the field and allow big passing plays. I'd much rather make Malik Cunningham run 20 times in a game and try to beat you that way than allowing him to run successfully eight to ten times but also creating three to five passing plays with his legs because you start selling out for him. So it's sort of a stay home, good eye patrol the D line sort of boxing him in. And when they have an opportunity to get him down, you got to get him down to the ground. You can't allow him to have a second life on plays. It kind of similar in some ways to what Florida state did or wanted to do against LSU and, and they're scrambling quarterback, right? Like against Jaden Daniels. I think that was something that you wanted to do was uh, two things. One uh, limit the explosives with what he can do on the ground uh, to limit it through the air and play a little bit more conservatively uh, with your coverage, play a lot of zone, and force a team to consistently drive the ball rather than give up the explosive uh, and, and not play this this boomer bust type of defense. And largely that was a good strategy for Florida State until the end of the game, which it was, uh, to me, a lot more execution than, than you know, schematically. Guys just kind of lost their minds uh, at the end there, which is something you have to, again, talk about growing and developing Tatum Bethune was really good on that topic this week, Chris. Like, you have to keep your poise about you. Uh, And Malik Cunningham is someone who can cause anxiety and and frantic play as a defender. Uh, Who who are some of the defenders, I guess, that that you view as needing to step up and be really clean this week uh, against the Cardinals? I'll start with Tatum Bethune. Like, I think he, he has to kind of be your heartbeat there with everything that Malik Cunningham does. Yeah, I think a guy like Cunningham is the type that exploits linebackers very, very quickly. Um, I think it's an important game for Jamie Robinson to be very active, whether that's uh, vertical in the passing game. Now, it's worth mentioning Malik Cunningham as a passer, I think, on the year is one for eight on passes over 20 yards in the year for 37 yards. He has two picks on those type of throws. So he's going to kill you, do his work 20 and under. But because there's so many moving parts, it opens pockets, there's things that are take. They're very effective at it. Louisville does a whole heck of a lot of passing that's within 10 or under of the offensive line. So, or I'm sorry, of the line of scrimmage. So that is an area where you got to be super present with him. They're going to try to get out of his hand quick when he is passing sometimes, or he's going to extend plays. But as far as players, I think it's guys up the middle. So, you know, you need your D tackles to be effective at basically gumming it up in the middle. Don't allow him to have open windows to just shoot and go. You need your edges to be effective at boxing men. You need your linebackers to be at home, be able to do what they need to do in the middle of the field, whether that's taking him away in Cunningham or taking down Tyon Evans in the running game or taking on Marshawn Ford and not allowing him to become a big presence. And then you need your safeties to be kind of your last line of defense, what they're created for. In the case of a guy like Robinson, he can't allow something to get behind him. You don't Mm -hmm. want to give up that huge chunk play in the passing game to a guy who's not effective at a huge passing play in the sense of vertically through the air. And then underneath, you want him to be able to clean it up when Cunningham is effective against all those guys in front of you and has some chances. But that's an example of where if FSU fails to get him on the ground in the first instance, you need a Robinson or Shaheen Brown if he's playing or a Keem Dent, who's obviously going to play a lot of downs. You need them to do an effective job of getting the guy down to the ground. So let's move on to the final thing, Chris, and that's our predictions. I will give my prediction at, uh, at the next segment when we have Byers Sinone with Zach. Uh, but for now, I'll just I'll tease it with this and want to get your thoughts. I, in my mind, I've been thinking about this game a lot this morning uh, and even at parts last night. And, like, my, my gut is that Florida State will win comfortably. I think what we've seen from them early this season, they're better than I thought. Louisville is worse than I thought. 
think that combination leads to FSU should be like a like a 10 to 14 point win. However, there's this element of like, I just can't quite trust it at this point until I see it. That's so much of like my decision making is like there has to be some level of like I've seen it before. I think back to the Florida game last year when there was expectations start to ramp up. You won a couple games in a row. You mentioned this earlier, Chris, on the pod, like how do you handle success? How, how do you how do you respond to that? Uh, I think back to that Florida, Florida game last year and there were some expectations and there was some success on a, on a two game win streak. And the team, frankly, kind of lost its mind in that game. I know this isn't the apples to apples comparison, but there's something about going up to Louisville, primetime game, Friday night, a team that's really had your number the last couple of years. Until I see FSU just go out and do it, I can't quite commit to Florida State winning comfortably. And I'm not even sure I can commit to Florida State feeling confident that they're going to win this game. So it's funny. Over under, I think, is what, 54 and a half? I think it's what I saw. Uh, yeah, I've, I think, it, think, think it was I've been living in that realm all week as I thought about this. Uh, I was leaning 31-21. I'm going to go 31-24 and just take slightly on the over there. Um, yeah, I think FSU wins 31-24. I think FSU's offense is going to be very successful in this game. Uh, for me, it comes down to how successful is FSU at turning Malik Cunningham into a vertical passer and taking away his legs and not allowing them to hit big plays. You know, if you keep Louisville under, say, eight plays of 15 yards or less, I, I feel really good about FSU's chances of winning. Obviously, if they exceed that, those start turning into points, those start turning into touchdowns, and you're in a shootout. And I, I don't feel great about that idea. But I do think FSU wins this one. I don't think Louisville's receivers are particularly overly impressive. Uh, you know, I think they're lesser than they were a year ago. Uh, I do like the Evans kid at running back quite a bit, and their running back room is pretty good. And they've always been able to run the ball. That system that Satterfield utilizes allow them to run the ball both with their quarterback and with their back. So, you know, I think they'll be good at that. But I think FSU is also pretty good against the run. Cunningham is obviously a big concern for me. But I think FSU does enough to win. Um, I'll go with 31-24. Fire Snone Bourbon this week. Uh, I'm supposed to go on a tour or two, I believe. Mm. Uh, me, my wife's going with me out on this trip. We have some very good friends that live in the Louisville area. Uh, they're, they've set a couple of things up. So I think we're doing one when we get there and one after the game. Do you know what distilleries? I don't remember. Mm. Jim set it up. You know, Jim, I know Jim. Well, well Jim has exquisite taste. Other yeah, than I, I, I trust that man. I know it's not Woodford. I won't be giggling and laughing, crying. All <laughs> yeah, Chris, time, but Chris was I, gushing over Woodford double. I do. I love me some Woodford. Um, but no, we're going to enjoy one or two, but yeah, I suspect I'll have some. And I think we might do dinner with certain friends that also really like bourbon. So I could see myself participating in something with my as well. My man. All right. So that's a that's a buy. Yeah, that's definitely a buy. Okay. Speaking of buyer Sinone, we are going to do a game of buyer Sinone with Zach Blostein. Uh, we had to record it at practice yesterday just because of uh, timing and travel and whatnot. So uh stick around after this commercial break. We'll have some buyer Sinone action coming up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we begin recording here, Zach just admitted that he hates children. Hates kids. Yeah, you said effing field trip. I heard you. No, I said, is that a field trip? You didn't swear. No. And you didn't roll your eyes. Correct. All right, so we're beginning this episode of Buyer Sinone with Zach lying to us, which is a great start. I'm Sinoning that. All right, let's start off. Buyer Sinone, Hakeem Williams. Yeah, just Hakeem himself? I came out with a fastball there. I mean, it's Hakeem Williams, Buyer Sinone. Oh, hi, obviously. All right. Tell us where 
Explain to us where FSU stands in Hakeem Williams' recruitment right now for those who haven't been paying attention. They sit in a great spot. Um, he was at the LSU game. He watched FSU go and, and you know win that last-second affair. Um, I think it was uh, the most beneficial thing for FSU in his recruitment that's happened to date. Um, he was at Pittsburgh over the weekend for their loss against Tennessee. I think he enjoyed that visit. Um, I still like FSU. Um, he, he'll be at Texas A&M this weekend for their game against Miami. That'll be the, the final visit before he makes his decision on the 23rd, which I believe is next Friday. So um, right now, like an FSU, but um, there's still a week and change to go. Is there anything, oh, I got to do it in Byers to Known form here. Byers to Known, Texas A&M can make a move for Hakeem Williams with a bounce back performance against Miami. Bye. I think I think anything's possible. Um, you know, I, I, Miami's also involved in his recruitment, so maybe if they have a great showing, that improves their chances. But the one thing to note is he does make his commitment on the 23rd, but Hakeem's a recruit from South Florida who will have multiple official visits left to use. I believe he'll have three because he used two over the summer. Um, so, you know, that always leaves the, the possibility of him taking visits to other schools, even if he commits to, you know, Florida State, for instance, he might go and still visit a few other schools. I know he's locked in an official to FSU for the UF game on November 25th. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's just something to note. But, yeah, Texas A&M definitely has a shot of improving their chances going into this uh, coming week's commitment for him. I think Miami scares me more than anyone else right now. Byers to known for Hakeem. Not for this week or for next week, but for long term of his recruitment. Miami? Yeah. It's like um, Byers Miami or John Ruiz. Well, that's always a buy. <laughs> uh, can we do a, a show crystal ball though for this week? You gonna put in a crystal ball for Florida State for next Friday? I'll put in a crystal ball for Blake Nicholson. All right, that's my next topic for Byers Sinone. Byers Sinone, Blake Nicholson to Florida State. Bye. I'll elaborate, Zach. No. All right, buyers to known white helmets. We got our first look at them at practice today. They're a buy for me, but like I said on the roundtable, I think they're like a little bit off color from the, the white jerseys that FSU wears. So maybe if they like match it up a little bit better, I think it'd be like a, you know, a super buy. Um, oh, super buy. It's called off white. Uh, when you get old enough to start painting houses and whatnot, you'll, you'll know all the different types the, of. Is that what the uniform color is? I don't know. Okay. Well, it's just very shiny white, the helmets are. Um, and the uniform's kind of like a little bit duller, I guess, off-white. Um, so, yeah, if, if they mash up a little bit better, I still think it'll look good, especially, um, I think it's a night game, right, against Louisville, so it'll look it, good. It is, it is a Friday night game against Louisville. Dude, shut up. It's a Sinone. Uh, Byers Sinone going for, from shiny white to Winston Wright. Byers Sinone, Winston Wright. Uh, bye. Again, elaborate. Um, yeah, Winston Wright's awesome. When he's healthy, he's going to help this offense a ton. Um, I'm playing with my... Stop fidgeting. <laughs> my ADHD is acting up. No. Yeah, Winston Wright's an awesome receiver. He was the most productive transfer they brought in from his previous stop in West Virginia. Um, and I think if you get him back healthy this season, he completely changes the dynamic of that receiver room. Um, I think he's immediately becomes probably your, your first or second option at slot. Um, and he's super electric and, and a really good playmaker. So, yeah, I'd be excited if, if he can make it back. Um, I, I posted some clips over the past few days of him, you know, taking some kick returns at practice, as well as, you know, Brendan taking a video yesterday of him working in some drills. So that's a good sign, and, and I guess we'll see where, where things come from, from there. One-handed catch at practice today. Coach Norvell said after practice that Winston Wright's workload continues to expand, and, and that's moving in a positive direction for the Seminoles. We actually don't said that this has been recorded at a time but i'm projecting it we'll edit it out afterwards if it's not accurate uh, i think the last buyer sinone that i have for you zachary buyer sinone florida state giving two points against louisville well you're you're asking me like if i'm betting that florida state will win by two over two Yes, the buyers known format doesn't work for this question, yeah, but you're supposed weird. to just kind of keep play along with it or address it and, and move on. Lingering on it doesn't help us at all. I'm not going to fall in line with your uh, tactics. Um, Cle I think, clearly, you're learning from Christine. Yeah, I'm buying uh, that Florida State wins the game by over two. I think um, 
I think this comes down to FSU's running game and Louisville's inability over the past two weeks to stop the run. And we've seen what FSU can do to teams that, you know, cannot stop their running attack. And um, I think, you know, they've got three to four backs that can, can make you pay. So, yeah, I think that's the difference in the game. And I think, um, I think FSU will cover. Uh, what, was your, what was your score prediction? What do, what do you got here for Florida State? You got them covering, put in a, put in a prediction for the people to be mad or happy with? 31-28 Florida State. Wow. There you have it, folks. Zach Blostein is redeeming himself from his prediction that Florida State would get housed against LSU last week. Uh, we'll see if you want Zach's betting mind on your side as a Florida State fan. You do. Brendan, what's your score prediction? Ooh, that's a good question. Thanks for asking. Uh, I need to do the emotional hedge here. I think that Florida State, this is an no. ex- this is an exorcism no. game of sorts for the Seminoles. They need to show that they could beat Louisville under Mike Norvell. Adam Fuller has a lot of things to prove against uh, Mr. Satterfield. I want to say Derek Satterfield. That's the wrong Satterfield. Scott Satterfield <laughs> of Louisville. Uh, and that offense has done really good work against in the last two years. Uh, this is also a place that Florida State went up against uh, up to last two years ago. After a big win against North Carolina, got housed. It was embarrassing. I uh, got smoked, if you will. You uh, love the word housed. Do, do I? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think it can mean multiple things, too. It can mean like a house that you live in. It can mean like you, you destroy someone. Uh, it could mean I don't you like take that. a pick, like you house an interception, like you take it to the house. So <laughs> I like words that have a lot of versatility and malleability to them. Like smoked. Jared verse ability. Byerson known Jared verse. Bye. Yeah, he looks good. Um, so I will go with Louisville 31, Florida State 28. The inverse oh. of what you did. And I will be happily wrong. Uh, I will keep picking against the Seminoles until they lose a game, which has not happened yet this season. So that's my projection. Did you pick against them with Duquesne? No comment. All right, moving on to the next segment of this show. Joining me now, as promised, is former Seminole baseball standout Devin Travis, also big brother to current Florida State football standout Jordan Travis. Devin, thank you for joining us here on the bench. Uh, how's how's life as a coach treating you these days? B, thanks for having me, man. Everything's good. Um, I enjoy being back inside the game and, you know, just giving back to the players and, and uh, yeah, it's pretty special to to be able to let it come full circle and 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 be on this side of the be on this side of the fence inside of baseball. Uh, so so you're with the Atlanta Braves currently. You're up in Atlanta right now. You said before we started recording, the season's ongoing for a couple more weeks for you. Can you just kind of give us an update, like what day to day routine is like for you work wise, and uh, just what it's been like to catch on with with such a you know stellar organization. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really cool. I grew up a big Braves fan too, so um I always wanted to wear a Braves uniform um as a player, but wearing it as a coach, I guess, is about the second best I can do and that's pretty cool. Um but yeah, as far as my schedule goes, I wake up in the morning, have my breakfast, have my coffee. Um yeah, and then I normally head to the yard around twelve thirty, one o'clock. And um yeah, you were there until about ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night, and then I scoot home, go to sleep, and do the same thing for 150 days throughout the season. So um, kind of pretty programmed, pretty good, like right now, like a robot. Baseball is the uh, the sport of robots when it comes to routine, uh, unlike unlike any other. It's it's amazing uh, how how engaged no you have to be to their routine. Do you, do you like this aspect of coaching? It's still fairly new for you. It's like it's something that you can see yourself doing long-term, making a career out of it. You know, I love it. I love it. And, and the people inside this organization are, are fantastic. Um, professional baseball is is definitely a, a slippery slope. Um, you know, as a player going into coaching, you know, you're very unsure. And, and you kind of as a player, you see it as as the coaches and the players are so separate. And then I think that when you start coaching, you realize that, you know, the coaches and the players really are together. It's just you know, the coaches are the are the are the last straw between you know, the players and in, in that next level. So um, it's pretty cool. I love it. I got to play against a lot of – got to play against a lot of guys that I coach here in AAA and, and a lot of guys that I played with. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty special opportunity. And, and yeah, I like it a lot. Your, your time in the minor leagues with a couple different 
uh, programs allowed you to kind of live in different parts of of the country? I guess what was your what was your favorite city you lived in while in the minors? And um, I, I guess we can maybe the the city that you weren't as fond of. We don't have to say least favorite. That's not a positive way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I got drafted by Detroit and I played in my first full season. I was in Low A, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow, sneaky town. Um, three colleges there. 21, 22-year-old kid um, playing professional baseball. It was incredible. Outside of the snow in April, Grand <laughs> Rapids, Michigan, great yeah, town. You're a dude from South Florida, so the snow, uh, I'm sure, was a little jarring. Give me the heat all day. Burn me, melt me, <laughs> it's all good. But anytime it's, it turns white, I think it's great for Christmas Day. Outside of that, I'm good on it. <laughs> all right so, so grand rapids sneaky cool city especially with i didn't know that there were three colleges in grand rapids that's cool what about the one that you were like all right i'm i'm cool moving on on from here i know you i'm from connecticut originally i know you were in connecticut for a little bit uh, i don't live in connecticut norwich. anymore so if you want to say there uh, yeah norwich if you want to say norwich my feelings won't be hurt no no no. norwich was cool i actually stayed on the grounds of a of a of the mohegan sun um my least favorite, though, Erie, Pennsylvania. Dreary, eerie, that's what they call it. And it held true for me. Um, great people in the town. Very, very um, cool baseball setup. But once you leave the baseball field, there was not a ton to do. So I'd have to say Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, sorry to anybody from Erie. <laughs> I'm sure all of our listeners, uh, the on-the-bench listeners in the area, are be. Uh, I rate Go, going back real quick, Devin, because it broke up a little bit. You got to when you were in, in Connecticut, you got to stay uh, on the grounds of the casino. Yeah. So my, my host family, when, you know, when you're in the low minor leagues, you have host families. Um, and my host mother, uh, rest in peace. She lived on the grounds of the Mohegan sun. Uh, she was, a you know, she was in the, the Indian tribe that was there. Um, and, uh, yeah, they have their grounds and the rights to stay on the on the property of the casino. So yeah, pretty cool little setup. And and like I said, I didn't do any gambling at the time, but you know, being able to say that I stayed on the grounds of the Mohegan Sun was pretty cool. That's really, I mean, the 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 places that being in the miners can take you and seeing different parts of the world is is so cool. Uh, so one question I had yeah, for you, and this is. I've written about like different players have had to deal at Florida state, like having to go through different injuries and whatnot. And I think the one thing that like always, I, I don't know if I do a good, as good of a job as I would like articulating in these stories is like the process of dealing with injuries from a mental standpoint. And, and for you, like you had multiple injuries during your time in the minor leagues and unfortunately like derails your career. And that's like no fault of your own. Like, I guess what was that like just, one thing after another for you and you kept on fighting and kept on trying to position yourself to keep, you know, fulfilling this dream. Uh, could you just walk us through what that, that was like to kind of have to deal with again, these things that are out of your control really? Yeah. I mean, though, you know, as a professional athlete and, and really not even just professional as, as an athlete in general, the, the things that we struggle the most with are, are the things that we actually can't control. Mm. Um, and uh, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, when, when I stopped playing, um, I had about a year and a half, two year period um, where things were dark. I mean, I, you know, as a young athlete, I, I grew up, you know, almost always with the same goal every day of just being the best athlete I can I could be. And um, all I ever wanted to do was be a baseball player and and. Unfortunately, due to injuries, you know, my career was cut, you know, very short. I was played my last season at 28 years old, um, spent my last year on the DL the entire year. Um, and it was tough. But I think that, uh, you know, for me, once I was able to you know, really sit back and, and, and get a bigger picture of everything, um, I realized how thankful and grateful I was for everything that I was given. Uh with that being said, um, injuries for players are, are quite tough and, and they could weigh pretty heavily on you. And, you know, most of the time it comes down to, to luck. I mean, if you do all you can to prepare to, you know, to, to, to make sure that you're in the best you know, health possible for you, for yourself and your team, um, that's really all you can ask for. And, and I played hard, man. I, 
I didn't, I didn't play with fear. Um, I had two surgeries where doctors told me that I never would play baseball again. And I did both times. Um, and I still had no fear after that. I, I believe that I, I was who I was as a player because I gave everything I had. And, and I felt like as long as I can go to sleep at night, knowing I left it all out on the field, um, everything would be okay with me. So um, didn't work out great for me injury wise, but I tell you what, I, I think that I left my, I, I left my heart and my soul on that, on that field. And, and I could walk away and look at the game and you know be proud of you know, everything that I was able to accomplish. Having those experiences, David, uh, what you're saying now, you're talking about mental health and physical health, and, and those two can so often be closely related, for especially for athletes, but, but for all of us, if you're not feeling well, then mental health may not be great, and, and vice versa, too. Uh, but what you're saying is, like, reminded me a lot of what Jordan uh, has talked about at different points in his career, and he's been super vulnerable, like, you know, thinking at one point he would maybe stop playing football, and I know he's had to deal with different injuries and ailments. Going through what you've gone through, I guess, how have you been able to share that and impact, you know, how that's impacted you with, with your younger brother and kind of help him along in this journey, you know, pretty early on in, in his playing career? Yeah, you know, the whole, the whole really like, you know, outlook of sports today for these young athletes is, is crazy. I mean, you have so many different outlets and so many different ways that these kids can see what people are saying about them and hear what people are saying about them and, and, mm -hmm. and then take it to the, you know, to the a more direct, you know, spot where, where, you know, maybe they start to begin to doubt themselves based on what they read and what they hear. And, and, you know, I think my brother in the sense of, of, of how he plays the game of football is, is very similar. I mean, he plays hard. There's, there's no such thing as taking a playoff. And, and he believes that, every first down is the exact same, no matter if they're, you know, driving down the field on a game winning drive or, or it's the first quarter. I mean, he plays the game hard. He plays the game to win. And I think, you know, a little bit of that at the position he plays is something that he has to hone in and, uh, you know, understand that, you know, his health and his availability to the team is, is the number one most important thing, especially in a long you know, 12 game season in, in, a, in a physical sport like like football. But, um, you know, Jordan's got a really good mindset. Jordan's been through a lot. Jordan has had a lot of negative things said about him. Jordan has seen all the negative things that have been said about him. Um, Jordan has had his doubts of, of, of himself. And I think with all that said, um, he realized as a man that, you know, it was it was up to him to, you know, to really prove everybody else wrong, but also prove himself right. And, um, I'm really proud of him, you know, today being able to sit back and look uh, of the man he's become, not just the football player, but how he handles himself, how he how he controls his thoughts, you know, how he prepares week in and week out and how he puts his team first and realizes that he has an opportunity that's so so special. And it's the opportunity that he's dreamt of his whole life and for him to be living it. Um, I realized that he's so grateful for that and, and, and where he's at today is something I'm really proud of. I remember, I mean, it's, a, I'm not saying it's just because you're odd talking on the podcast right now, Devin, like it's the most remarkable story I've, I've covered, uh, whether I've covered high school sports, I covered UCF for a while, covered Florida state for seven or eight years. Like it's the, the best progression of a player I, I've ever seen. And so much of it is just the way he's not improved physically, but just the way he's approached the game and, and confidence and believed in himself. It's remarkable. I mean, there's times last year, uh, where the fans are booing early in the season or booing him. And I know Jordan hears that, uh, but then to, to take that and show where he's gone throughout the season gradually, and then like show national stage against LSU, just how far he's come. And you get this idea that he's going to continue to keep evolving and getting better. You mentioned being proud, Devin, like, like to see your brother evolve and progress as quickly as he has. And you understand it from, the athlete, the athlete standpoint. I mean, how cool has it been to see like just, just how much he's, he's grown up in just such a short period. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm by no means like a, a football expert. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lifelong baseball player who probably loved fo the sport of football more than I loved the sport of baseball my entire life. And, and I watch a lot of football and it, if there was one thing I knew that was always true and, and, and I believed it and, 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 
and I could have said it till I'm blue in the face. And I, and I don't just say it because he, you know, for two games is starting to get people to believe because I know he realizes that he, he's just, you know, reaching the, the, the surface of what he wants to accomplish. And, and by no means does he think, think that, you know, he's reached his peak. He knows he's got to continue to grow, but I've always, I watch a lot of football, but I say this again, I'm no, by no means an expert. Um, I've always known what Jordan is capable of. And, and I've always known that, that, that Jordan had the ability to, to, to win at a very high level and, and to win at, at, at Florida state. And, you know, I think for me, it was just something that I, you know, had to sit back and, and, and wait on and, and, and I believed over time that Jordan was going to have the opportunity to, to, to prove himself. And, and once again, I don't think by any means that he has proved himself, but I'm just proud of him and, and the progression that he's made. And, and like I said before, the man he's become and, and being an athlete, more importantly than, than what you do on the field and how much you practice and, 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 and how you play during the games. It's, it's the mental you know preparation that you put in every single day and, and learning to to deal with the criticism and and take the criticism more so as fire rather than than fire being being thrown on you and and use it to you know really to fuel you to become the best player that you can can become and and I think that Jordan now has finally realized that everything that he reads or everything that's said um, everybody has the right to their own opinion and 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 sure the booze sucked I mean being booed by your own crowd when you were born into a seminal family and you dreamt of, you know, having the opportunity to play against a team like Notre Dame on a national stage, you know, your first game of the season, you know, being shut down by those fans and that could ruin many people. And I think for a little bit, it did ruin my brother, but um, he realized that he had no other choice, but to respond and, and, and respond in a positive way. And, and the best thing that he could do to res- do to respond to everything would be, you know, to put everything together and, and, and help get Florida State back to, you know, their winning ways. And, you know, I'm just proud of him as, as a big brother that he manned up over those tough times and, and he's in a mental place now that, you know, he doesn't really care about the criticism. He cares about winning and he puts winning first and he knows that if they win football games in, in, in Tallahassee that, you know, everybody else in those boos will take care of themselves. So, I know they're going to continue to fight after that and they're going to continue to chase that. And I know my brother's happy for the opportunity to lead this team. From your vantage point, and I've talked about this with, with different people within the program and, and everyone kind of has like a different opinion on it, but when did the light kind of, the, the proverbial uh, light switch flip on for Jordan after the first few games of this past season? I just know that like the body language in the UNC game was remarkably like different than it had ever been. And this play progressed after that, but like, before after do you have a pinpoint of like oh this my brother is at a different spot right now physically mentally did that stand out to you at any point you know i i just i i can't remember like an exact point because i know that last year was a, a pretty rough roller coaster from from the off from you know last off season really throughout the entire year and, mm-hmm. and i think that a, a lot of it was very very tough for for a, a, a young player who you know, was fighting for a job and never really was told that it was his job. Um, and, and that's a part of sports. I mean, he, he maybe he didn't deserve that, and, and that's fine. And I know that last year, that constant fight and battle, that's where, where athletes go from, you know, bad to good and from good to really good and from really good to great are those little, you know, those battles that you have between between people. And 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 uh, I think the biggest thing that I could just say is, is – you know, Kenny Dillingham, Mike Norvell, you know, Tony, mm-hmm. Alex, they, they believe in him and, and they instilled belief in him and, and they reminded him of, of who Jordan Travis, you know, is and, and what Jordan Travis can become. And, you know, those are, those are little things that athletes lose quite often. And, and the second an athlete loses his confidence, he loses his edge. And the second an athlete loses his edge, you know, he goes from who he was to 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 the new version of him that normally is a lot less so um that coaching staff Mike Norvell and and last year to Kelly Kenny Dillingham I can't thank them enough and and our family is so grateful for them for simply believing in my brother and and giving him the opportunity and, and letting him know that the reins are in his hands and 
and they're going to live and die with them. Um, that's, you know, that's something that athletes shoot for and athletes, you know, work their tail off to know that the coaching staff believes in them. And uh, when it's your head coach believing in you, I think that that immediate confidence that you receive from that is, is huge. And, and really, I think that's why um, we see, you know, a new version of Jordan and the Jordan that I've got to watch my whole life. But the touchdown, the second touchdown throw against LSU, the one where he gets hit in the, the helmet on the targeting call and drops a dime in the corner of the end zone. Is, is that the best throw you've seen Jordan ever make? Uh, I mean, definitely at the collegiate level. I mean, that was, that was phenomenal. I mean, you got a, you got a future NFL guy who's very large coming at you with a free shot and, you know, completely launches at you and you drop a dime and, great throw by Jordan but man maybe even a better catch by by Pokey I mean yeah I mean I guess you could say it's the best play it's definitely the best play I've seen him make live um and when you add the stage it was on and who he was playing against um definitely the best throw he's made but I think that just comes to you know what Mike Norvell has been preaching nonstop is you know they work on the little things and you hear Jordan in his interviews he says the same thing all the time it's like almost a robot, but Mike Norville has preached to these kids that the little things matter and, and every play matters and, and, and showing up every day and, and, and practicing to win uh, matters. And I think that was just a, that was just a, you know, really a, a full off season and multiple seasons of working under Mike Norville that you kind of see wrapped all into one play and um, pretty cool for everybody to watch. I got two more questions for you, Devin, and then I'll let you run. Uh, our baseball faithful, our fans who listen on the bench would be irritated with me if I didn't ask you just your thoughts on the on the program. Obviously, it's undergone a lot of change since since your time in, in Tallahassee. Uh, but just generally, what are your thoughts on, on Coach Lee Jarrett and where the program is is currently headed? Yeah, I'm I'm so excited. I mean, I've I, I don't I, I've never met Link. Uh, obviously, I follow college baseball. Um, seeing what he was able to do up at Notre Dame is nothing short of um, incredible. Um, I mean, he brought his squad into to Tennessee and, and beat a very, 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 very good Tennessee team. Um, I actually just uh, got off the phone with uh, Troy Tulowitzki, my ex-teammate. He was, you know, he's been a coach at the University of Texas over the last couple of years, and and he spoke very, very, very highly of Link Jarrett. Said he's heard nothing but great things. Um, so I think that that uh, Florida State is very lucky to have him. I think that he's going to take Florida State to new heights. Um, there's a player on the team that just got there. His name's Cameron Smith. Um, I coached him in high school. He's like my little brother. Um, so that gives me even more fire to watch this team. And I know he loves Link, and, and he speaks so highly of Link. So I think Florida State baseball is is trending nothing but in, in a higher direction. And I know that Link Jarrett's going to take us – um, to a place that we haven't been yet. So um, I'm excited. Right, final question. I've asked everyone so far on the show today, uh, prediction for FSU Louisville. Uh, I'm doing an emotional hedge and picking Louisville. Don't be mad at me. I just, I, I can't, the ner- their neuroses in me won't let me be happy. Uh, what do you think uh, FSU Louisville? What's your prediction for, for Friday night? Um, I mean, I'll just keep it simple. I think that the, Florida State is is trending in a good direction, and and I believe in Mike Norvell. Um, I believe in Alex Atkins. I believe in Tony Tokars. I think that our defense is is playing really good football. I think that the most important thing is that you're seeing a team that's starting to believe in themselves. And when you have a team that believes in themselves and a team that turns from from a team to a family, um, I think that's when really special things uh, start to happen. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to put my faith in the, in the Knowles that are trending in a really, really positive direction right now and that are really believing. And, you know, although we've struggled with Louisville over the past few years, um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to bet that the Knowles uh, going to Louisville this Friday night and, and bring back a W. Um, obviously the, a lot of that is being said with my heart, but, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty fair overall. I'm going into games and, you know, this is a game that I think that FSU can, can go into um, Louisville and win. So I'll take the Knowles Friday night. All right, heard it here. Devin Travis has the Knowles over Louisville on Friday evening. Devin, thank you so much for joining me here on the bench. Really appreciate you uh, reflecting on your time in, in baseball and, uh, and sharing insight on Jordan as well. It's been really cool to see your brother's development, man. It's been awesome to see. 
Me, thanks, man. Thanks for having me, and 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 thank you for being one of the few people out there that have done nothing but but point out the good things and and my brother throughout his career. And um, yeah, I think I think the best is ahead for this team, and I think the best is ahead for my brother. And and uh, yeah, I think that Mike Monroe has his team playing in a special way, and I can't wait to see how it all rolls out. Jtraf Hive. We're all part of it. All right, man. Be easy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us. All right, bro. Take care, man. Thank you. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.